Good morning, everybody. Welcome to LJCC. We're so happy to see you this morning. We're about to get started with some worship. I hope you can sing with me. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's all stand. Trust him more Jesus 
seated. Uh, if we could bow our heads in prayer. Dear God, thank you for providing talented and creative musicians on this earth to bless us with their skills and allow us to praise you in song. God, we know that fear is the absence of you, and with this knowledge, help us to move with intention through this life without fear. As a, con as a congregation, as individuals, even if we are uncomfortable and awkward in our outward expression of our faith, help us to be a people who boldly walk up to the lost on the street and say, money I do not have, but what I do have will change your life, and prepare us to speak your word. Help us to take what we know about you and put it into practice with the excitement of children at Christmas. When evil sneaks in through the tiniest hairline cracks in our thoughts, help us to call on you for help. To let evil know that we are children of God, your children, and there is no place for evil here. No place for thoughts or actions contradictory to your word. Lord, help us to keep our focus on you and enjoy this journey with you. And we realize there is no testimony without test. So help us to recognize your great love for us during those times of testing. Lord, do not let this world pull us down. It feels like this beautiful world you alone created more and more is working to deny its creator. Let us be strong in our resolve to bless you always and for everything and keep God lifting us and God, keep lifting us up closer and closer to you till we are with you. We pray for the full value of your Holy Spirit. Let it pour down on us again and again. Flood us so we are overwhelmed, full, and out of the excess we are able to give to everyone we meet so they will have a taste of your goodness and unquestionable love. Let your people, the people of God, be the invading force around the world. Help us to be the best version of Jesus we can be in our actions, our thoughts, and in our love for you, God. We are grateful and thankful for all that you are willing to provide us, for what you have given is more than we deserve. Let our faith in you never waver. Thank you for providing us a better way to live and a wonderful way to leave this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> if you weren't up, you are now. Hey, we're so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Thanks for being here at La Jolla Community Church. Um, when you walked in, you probably got a bulletin. The bulletin is very cleverly perforated, so if you fold it, it just rips right in half. Um, the top half you can uh, uh, use to invite someone to church or to put up on your bulletin board and remind yourself about family fun night, um, which if you don't have a, a child who's between, you know, um, I don't know what the youngest is, but a newborn and a, and a senior in high school, we would love to have you come volunteer. And you would have a blast um, seeing the energy of uh, kids playing water games. You might get a little wet if you do that. There's some dry options, too. You could serve food. Um, uh, so, so help is needed with that, and it really makes for a fun event when we get our whole uh, uh, church family out there. So that's on uh, July 29th, and you can read more about it there. You can even scan a QR code for the full details. And then the uh, bottom half of the bulletin, one side has the connect card on it. So this is just how we uh, get connected with you. So you give us your uh, name, phone number, email address, and write us a note if you're interested in uh, a class, uh, you, you wish you could be volunteering, you have a question, anything, you can write it there. And um, 
we'll reach out and get back to you. Um, and then the, uh, oh, I was on the wrong side. The, uh, the prayer side, um, we're a church that prays every week for, for every prayer request that comes in. Um, we hold them in confidence. We don't uh, share them or bandy them about, but, uh, but each prayer request is, is prayed over. So if you have something to celebrate or something heavy on your heart, um, uh, write on that and turn that in. And you can turn the bottom half in into the um, uh, slot on your way out or into the, the baskets in the foyer. Um, so thanks for being here, and uh, uh, invite Pastor Steve up. Hey, thank you, Drake. Uh, just to follow up on that family fun night, you know, normally it's we charge every volunteer $100. This month only, you bring a friend, you both get in for free. <laughs> that's right. You bring a friend up, volunteer with you. It's no charge. Save a, that's like 200 bucks savings. Go, go help. It's like an hour and a half or two hours. After that, go out to dinner. You can go to a nice dinner for a couple hundred bucks. So it's a good, I think it's a pretty good deal. Just want to let you be aware of that. Well, this week, uh, you maybe didn't hear the news, or, or hopefully you did, that the Webb uh, Observatory, which is a, basically a mobile observatory, got shot into space after for years, 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 and years in massive cost overruns. Yes, it was a government project. It, it's finally uh, got off into space. It's a, something like 100 times more powerful than the Hubble. You know, the Hubble has been the most powerful uh, telescope that we have, and it has helped us chart the universe, and, and now the web is, uh, you know, to the 10th power more, I think, uh, powerful. And one guy made that happen, a guy named Greg Robinson, who is uh, an administrator with NASA, where all other people couldn't make it happen. This scientist, who's also a gifted, gifted administrator, made that happen. Now, it sounds like a nothing kind of a thing until months from now when we start to see, you know, from 100 million light years away, images of the universe. Now, I don't want to get your hopes up real high because more images of the universe is like more pic postcards from Death Valley. It's kind of like a lot of nothingness, but still, it's impressive nothingness because it's so far away. And so um, all I can say is I, I love God, and I really value science, and I appreciate scientists. Are, how many of you are science people here today? Okay, either by, by what you do or graduate students. And uh, I find it used to be, uh, when, I was, when I was in college, it was pretty easy to explain your major. When I was in graduate school, it was really simple to explain uh, your, what you're working on in a graduate program. Nowadays, if you are a graduate student, uh, say working at uh, out of the Sock Institute or at UCSD or uh, with um, the Scripps Oceanog uh, Oceanographic folks, good luck explaining what you do. It's this hyphenated on and on. There, there might be biology mentioned in there somewhere or physics, but it's sort of an afterthought. Uh, science has become so profoundly, um, I guess, deep in terms of the specificity with which you can approach it, just like medicine. You think about the, the subcategories of medicine, and you think almost in every, every field of human endeavor, uh, give it enough time, and you start to have people doing levels of engineering nobody ever thought of 30 years ago. They didn't have a textbook for it. They didn't have a term for it. And all this would fit under the category of science, essentially, because science is an amazing and wonderful process. So uh, we're talking about the god of wonders. And so we're not talking about god versus science or god and science for the next, uh, for the summer, but we are touching on this notion that the God of wonders reveals to us a universe that is absolutely mind-boggling. And commensurately, uh, there's another side to the story, that is the detail that emerges from people who are practitioners 
of that keen science of observation and inquiry. Uh, and to the point that that process, that approach, has permeated almost every other field. Because uh, you can now get a Bachelor of Science in business. I, I have a Bachelor of Science in business. And so you think, well, besides the BS factor in business, what is the, what is the point of it calling, calling it a, a Bachelor of Science? Well, because what we want to capture is this process of inquiry, curiosity, uh, testing things, uh, advancing the knowledge base, applying it ever more specifically as, as, and as well as broadly. So let me ask you the question, are, are science and faith in God incompatible? For, for many of us, this is such a tiring and tired question. Like, really? Are we still asking that question? But for some folks, it's still a big question. Uh, are science and faith in God incompatible? Uh, it doesn't happen every week, uh, probably not every month, but throughout the year, uh, people will say to me, hey, my, my faith is being rocked by this latest scientific whatever. And I think, wow, you know, uh, let's chat a little bit because I think maybe your, your faith ought to be reinforced in that conversation, not rocked by it. Um, any number of times over the years, uh, as long as they've been a pastor, somebody will, uh, throughout the years, somebody will say, well, you know, I'm just here with my friend, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, I'm just here because I was bribed by brunch afterwards, whatever the reason is. And they want to give me their disclaimer, you know, because really, I'm, I'm an engineer. Some of you have heard me say this before. Well, you know, I'm a scientist. Kind of like they have to be discreet about it, or people will freak out on the patio. And, and, and I would say, and, and I, I cannot help but be a little bit smart-alecky about it. I'll just say, hey, that's fantastic. What kind of science, what kind of engineering do you do? And then I'll be looking around, after, as they say that, I'll just pause and just glance quickly and see if there's somebody else doing it. I'll say, gosh, can I introduce you to so-and-so? Uh, there were a couple of guys here, and they were kind of dragged to church by their, their, their wives. And they go, well, we're orthopedic surgeons. I go, oh, okay. This is a safe place then. Right here in the orthopedic surgeon circle, this is the safe, normal, rational part of the, of the, of the campus today. And it just happened to be that weekend that kind of at the time, he, he just retired in the last year, like the reigning god of all things orthopedic in Orange County, created a whole orthopedic institute, was in church. I said, hey, Scott, can I introduce you to these guys? So Scott dutifully walks over and goes, hey, how are you guys doing? I said, these guys are, are, are boneheads. He goes, oh, my people. <laughs> and they said, I said, this is Dr. Scott Fisher. And I felt like I was back in the um, Wayne's World moment when these guys practically dropped to their knees saying, I am not worthy, because he is, in their mind, he is, the, he is as high as it gets in their world. They said, oh my gosh, you're Scott Fisher, you're Dr. Scott Fisher. He goes, oh yeah, my wife calls me honey, but hey, you can call me whatever, you know. And so we had this really fun conversation, because all of a sudden, the little bubble of I'm safe here was burst. Because they realized, oh my gosh, I'm standing in front of somebody who believes all this stuff, and they're the person that I aspire to be like. And I would, I would hope that, that every person who practices anything with the word science attached to it would at some point realize, oh my gosh, I was made to love God and to value science. Are science and faith in God incompatible? Well, just depends on how you look at it, I guess. Science asks questions. Science is a method of inquiry used to investigate phenomena. I don't see the conflict yet. However, there is a conflict with something called scientism. That's an actual term. Scientism is a philosophy that uses science as an excuse not to deal with the question of God. 
Uh, you don't have to be a scientist to be a practitioner of scientism. In fact, um, the, the general population of scientists is, is something over 50% of scientists would say, I believe in God. Uh, in, the pop, in the population, it's about 80%. So scientists are a smaller pr proportion, but still, over half of scientists, people who represent themselves as scientists, say, yeah, I believe in God. A person who is, a, is into scientism might not believe in God, might not know uh, anything about science, but they use science as a way of saying, I, this is why I don't believe in God. It's so it's scientism. And, and some very high-profile, very verbal, vocal scientists practice science, scientism. And the bummer for them is that they keep bumping into people who practice science on a daily basis who are followers of Jesus. And it kind of rocks their world in a negative way. Because ah, one of these people is going to get clear what, the, what the, the rules of the road are here. And, and so scientism claims to answer all questions of meaning and purpose in life. It moves beyond being a process of inquiry and discovery uh, to being the source of answers for all questions of meaning and purpose in life. And you, some of you heard me tell the story when bishops dedicated a science center, the first thing they'd built in 20 years, and beautiful, big, awesome thing on the campus. And they invited Nobel laureate Dr. David Baltimore, president of the time at, at Caltech, to come speak. And he got up in front of all these people and said, in a, with a straight face, you know, it's good that this building on this campus, it's called Bishop School, is being dedicated to science. Because as we all know, Science answers all the questions of meaning and purpose in life. Uh, not quite, because he can't tell me how I got the cold or how I get over the cold. There's no solution for the common cold at this point, so they still got a little work to do, answering some of the big questions. But it was just, I, and I, I looked at Jim Updegraff, who was sitting up there with the faculty, in the most subtle way possible, he rolled his eyes. Small little, just a little bit of a like shrug, shake of his head, like, can you believe this is happening? He could have been a ventriloquist. He had such a straight countenance. But knowing him, I just saw that. I couldn't help but smile. And I started looking around, and, and I just had the sense that I was waiting for something really good to happen. Um, and he just, nobody, oh, yeah, great. He just said, he must be right. He's a Nobel laureate. My gosh. He's the president of Caltech. Have you tried to have a conversation with anybody on the Caltech campus? I have, uh, um, and, and there's a lot of phenomenally smart people who um, need to spend some time you know, figuring out what their life's about. And it's not a judgment, just say, all of us are that person. No matter how good we are at what we do, it does not come together unless God is somehow at the core of it. And that's not our security blanket, our crutch, not our imaginary friend. It's recognition that there's such an amazing universe that comes out of one who wants us to enjoy it. And that's where we're going today in this message, if we ever get into it. So there's no conflict between science and faith. There's no inherent, inevitable, necessary conflict between the two. Uh, dark energy is an example of this. Uh, probably you were thinking about that this morning as you were making coffee. This is my dark energy. Uh, dark energy, as you know, um, and there's other words to describe it, but it's this fuzzy factor in the universe that most of the substance of the universe uh, is dark nature, this dark energy, uh, this dark thing. It's not dark force like Darth Vader. It's just something they can't describe. There's never been a particle found to, to confirm it. So, so here's the funny thing about it. Uh, dark energy is an example to me of the scientific process and why it's not inherently conflicted 
with anything close to what we would call faith. Why? Because science can't prove it, but they acknowledge its presence. Am I on, on track here? Any of you who are scientists, is this, is this accurate? That, that there's no confirmation, and the best a scientist can come up with is to quote Jesus. In a sense, it's an indirect quote, because when Nicodemus said to Jesus, I don't get this idea about being born again. And, and, and Jesus said, well, it's like the wind. The Spirit of God is like the wind. You, you can't see it, but you see the effect of it. So we see, we, you can confirm every single day the, the effects of dark energy. You just can't confirm it. So we see the effects, we see the impact of faith every single day. And so we can push this. Of course, this is just you know, old news. You, know, you can say, well, obviously then you can't really document love in the sense that there's not a particle called love. You just experience it. You give it, you receive it. So this is the complexity of the universe we live in. And science has this incredibly important role in helping us understand whatever we can understand about this stuff. That's why this web observatory you know, that's floating out in space is going to be so powerful, so wonderful to say, hey, we're answering some questions. Aren't you curious about the universe? I am. I mean, when they talk about, is there, is there intelligent life in the universe? I hope somewhere, because it's certainly not happening here. Wouldn't it be great to find intelligent life? The problem is they wouldn't want to hang out with us. So uh, in 2009, the Senate unanimously voted to confirm Dr. Francis Collins as US, United States' the United States chief scientist, right, essentially. And uh, unanimous vote under the, in, in the uh, Obama administration, you know, all the whole Congress, Senate came together and said, "Yes, this is the right guy." There was still a, a significant amount of very vocal pushback on this, and the critics asked how a man who believes in God and miracles could serve in that role. How could he be ostensibly the chief scientist of this great country that is a leader in the sciences? And of course, the answer was, well. Uh, how could the man who mapped the human genome not be qualified to be the chief scientist? So we're not talking about faith as a fudge factor. You've seen either the T-shirt or the, the, the picture, the poster, of a guy standing at a, you know, a chalkboard filled with all this stuff, all, all these equations, and, and all these equations are here, and there's a bunch of equations here that represent the solution, and in between, just a little phrase, and then a miracle occurs. So we're not talking about fudging the data. We're saying follow the data where it leads. Uh, Sir Joseph Thompson, perhaps, I don't know if you know that name. Uh, <clears throat> he came home one, one night from work. His wife said, honey, how did it go? He said, pretty good. I, I, I discovered the electron today. And she said, well, take out the trash, and we'll talk about it over dinner. You know? um, he, also, he also put together the whole theory that we call electromagnetism. Not bad for a day's work. And so uh, when somebody asked him about it, uh, well, hey, uh, how does it square with some of the stuff that you're, you're bumping into in your work with you know, scientists who are embracing uh, an anti-God perspective? He said, well, I think every scientific discovery deepens the truth and feeling expressed in Psalm 111, verse 2. Yeah, he quoted scripture. And that psalm says, great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. That's a pretty good answer. So what you you have, uh, you have you finally found what we and named the electron. He first called it a corpuscle, which was just kind of gross. <laughs> and then the corpuscles were. Uh, can we get an electron in there? It just sounds a little bit more neutral. And 
appropriate for mixed audiences and stuff, you know? So um, think about that. You think about that. He won the Nobel Prize. But the, in response to people saying, wow, uh, we're discovering so many great things. And this was a super, super prolific time of discovery. And, and, the, and he said, no, 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 let's not, let's not miss this. Every, and he said, basically, this larger quote, every horizon that we come to reveals more and more and more and deepens the thinking and the feeling about what God has done. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. That's Psalm 111, 2. There are more stories like that. I didn't, I didn't have enough time or room to list all the stories from some of the seminal scientists throughout history who have said things like that. And not out of false modesty, but out of a sense of awe and humility to say, whoa. Somebody's going to have that experience when it comes to dark energy. It'll probably be little bits and pieces of people, you know, uh, not people, but of discovery that comes together in a theory. Pondering. Pondering means thinking about something carefully, especially before you make a decision or have an opinion about it. Uh, pondering is, a, is another version of meditation. Uh, deep thoughtfulness, mindfulness would be a, a modern, <clears throat> uh, more loosey-goosey way of talking about it. Pondering. Do you ponder the Word of God? Do you ponder the world in which you live? I mean, it's one thing to ponder and say, why did I do that? Or why didn't they do that? But rather pondering about the meaning of life, the meaning of your life, before you reach a conclusion. Oh, that's just me. I'm a loser. Oh, that's just me. I'm awesome. It couldn't have been me. It must have been them. But pondering pulls us into a process of saying, wow, what would it be like if I took the time to reprocess what I'm learning, what I'm seeing, what I'm not seeing, what I'm not learning, what I'm enjoying, what I'm not enjoying? You know, a therapeutic process is often the only way people have access to that because we don't take the time to do it for ourselves. And finally, we get in front of a therapist and they go, hey, let me help you with this. And we want to go in and say, just tell me what the answer is and I'll, I'll cut it short, save some money and time. And they say, no, it's a process of pondering. Not walking around saying, you know, are you my mommy? You know, can you tell me who I am? But rather saying, who am I? And I have to take responsibility for that process. Pondering, thinking about something carefully. We, we consider the implications. Is this good or is this bad? Is this true or is it false? <clears throat> the, you know, um, Joseph Thompson was the first person to actually split the atom. And he was troubled by it. He said, whoa, where could this go? Subsequent scientists said, you know, this is a big deal, but it could be a very bad deal. And, and so all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, you know, uh, we do some pondering. Is this good or is this bad? Hey, you know, if somebody doesn't want to be pregnant, we can take the baby and they don't have to worry about it. That's good science, isn't it? We've, we know how to do that. And you go, it might be possible science. Is it good science? Is it necessary science? Is it maybe safe for the most outrageously out there exceptional moments? Or is this just like a you know, normative kind of a thing? And you could take anything and, and ask yourself that question. Freud made his doctor promise that when Freud was tired of living, his doctor would show him how to take his life. Now, I can tell you, I, I, I mentioned this a few months ago about a, a person I knew who you know, scheduled the end of their life and called me up and told me about it. And I spent some time with him saying, hey, you know, this is, I know how you feel, I think. I, I could see myself wanting that, but that's not your call. 
Science can make it possible. Oh, but it's really possible because this, this, and this. We have it's really foolproof. It's panelless. It's right, right, right. I, you know, I, I think the technology is spot on. It's just misapplied in this situation. Does this, whatever it is, confirm reality or does it deviate from reality? The Nazis were infamous for doing experiments on human beings. None of it good. All of it hideous and horrific. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so when it comes to these discoveries, as we ponder, well, we ask the question, does it enhance human flourishing or diminish it? Does it enhance human flourishing or diminish it? One of the really neat things is, is that over at um, um, uh, the, um, what do you call it? The, the, the script Center, uh, the, the, um, oh, forget, I can't think of what it's called. Yeah, it, okay, so, yeah, um, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the entities over there, um, uh, it's profound, the science that they're doing, and years ago, a guy named Roger Beachy was leading the charge on, on taking something as simple as cassava, and he brought scientists from around the world, and he helped them figure out how to make safer, better versions of it, because, you know, cassava uh, it has arsenic in it, and it will kill you if you don't treat it. But it's one of the major sources of food in Africa. I just saw recently uh, the Gates Foundation just given more money to continue that study. Now, cassava is a very simple thing, very simple, starchy kind of a thing. Uh, and yet the complexity of making it safe and making varieties of it that uh, can function in different environments, less water, more water, these kinds of uh, pests, those kinds of pests, uh, we need it to be organic. We need it to be sustainable. We need it to be growing year-round. I mean, all that. All of a sudden, you're thinking, these people are doing science that causes human flourishing. And you cheer them on, right? You want to cheer them on. And, and so we could spend hours talking about, okay, are you for GMOs or against them? Uh, and maybe miss the point that, uh, do you want people to starve or not to starve? You know? So this is the, the implications, the pondering. And this is the kind of pondering I hope you do in every aspect of your life. I could do this, but should I do this? And so going back to science in particular, science doesn't render Genesis 1 obsolete. And God was hovering over and creating. It confirms the beauty and wonder of it. That's what science does. It doesn't refute anything. It reinforces what we already see, presented to us in a very poetic, figurative way. Not to say that it's inaccurate, it's, it's, it's uncanny how the elements in that, you know, to, in terms of all the, all the things over those first five days that were, were created out of the dust of the earth, so to speak, and then we were created on the sixth day. And the fact is, that's scientifically credible. Uh, you have components in you that are, uh, you know, part of your DNA is 10% virus. I knew that about you. I just didn't know it was that confirmable. But no, think about it. A big chunk of what makes you a human being at the cellular level are non-human elements. Probably 40% of us is a non-human element that makes it possible for us to have a, a biome, you know, to have whatever, all those great things. My point being that the elements in creation described in Genesis 1, none of them are outrageously uh, contradicted by science at all. They're not even kind of contradicted. It's all there. It just is presented in this beautiful figurative way that holds up the glory and the majesty of God. 
And so I wouldn't waste a lot of time if, 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 if you asked me about how old the world is. Why? Why would you do this? God can do whatever he wants to do. The issue isn't whether God can create in seven days or 14 billion years, is it? I mean, biology is a factor, not a faith. Our faith is in the one who created all things and through whom all things are held together. And so we're not rendering Genesis or any part of the Bible to a mythic status as in its fairy tale. It doesn't really matter because it's not true. We're saying it's essentially true. It's the core truth. It's the foundational text. Without this, there is no other truth. But we shouldn't overload it with assumptions that, ah, oh, let's make it more science-like so I feel better about being a member of a modern culture. Rather, we say, are you kidding me? Would you, you will not understand science unless you understand this. You, you discard this, science is out the door. Because science will be just what whoever is powerful enough to use it for their own purposes. See, the breathtaking language of Genesis 1 and 2 captures our imagination with the majesty of God. It lifts us up to say, if this is the God who created us in His image, would I want to destroy His image in a fetal capacity, in a preborn baby? What I want to say to an old person, you pretty much outlived your usefulness. You know that, right? And if you just went away, that would release a bunch of resources for the rest of the family. Think of the, the person who needs that organ, and you are just old. Does that make you feel kind of sick when you think of that? When you, when you put it out there like that? And yet that is the implication. You get rid of Genesis 1, good luck. You, it's a world you don't want to live in. Not because it's, it's a nice thought, because it's so inherently, essentially true. So science in never, in any case, ever shakes the foundations of what God reveals to us in Genesis 1 and 2. If anything, it's like a guy going, yeah, he's right. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. I think, wow, great confirmation. I hate to say it, but yes, it's consistent. God can do whatever he wants to do, and what he does is useful and beautiful. He reveals his purposes. We observe the processes. Think about that. He reveals his purposes, and science and other human endeavors simply discover the processes. Think of the engineering that made it possible to create the earth. The engineering, the stresses, the loads are mind-boggling, and, and, and yet it all comes together. You think about the tolerances that allow the universe to function, right? You've heard it said, if it just a little, the sun was just a little bit this way or that way, life wouldn't be possible. The universe is getting colder, not so much Earth. You know, we're in this protective bubble called an atmosphere, and so it goes. And so the complexities are staggering. And so when you get to the end of it, and you get to the source of it, there's not going to be somebody with a shirt that says Illumina and a clipboard in their hand. You know, we're going to charge you this much for this treatment. You'll be, you'll be in the presence of God and you'll be saying like Isaiah, oh my God, I, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. And he's going to say, I've taken care of that. Welcome, come into my presence. So scripture extols God's purposes. Because God created what he created to achieve his eternal purposes. We get to ponder this. Scripture reveals it, extols it, says, hey, check this out. Uh, it's powerful, powerful, powerful beyond belief. Read Psalm 104. Read Psalm 139. You want to read one of the most impressive environmental statements ever written? It's Psalm 104. 
You want to read something that will move you to tears? Read Psalm 139. I was knit together in my mother's womb. Whoa. Yeah, but I'm a mess. Ah, but God's hand is on you. So because Scripture extols God's purposes, science is able to explore nature's processes. It's that simple. God said, the God, our God said, it's a good creation. It's very good. Now go and understand it and manage it, explore it, and that's what science does. Science is actually confirmation of God's command to Adam and Eve. We're simply doing what God commissioned us to do. If God were to walk into the room and we're all sitting around, he'd go, what are you guys doing? We're just hanging out, nothing to do. Are you kidding me? There's a world to explore. They can't get that web telescope to go anywhere. Greg, get on that. Oh, sure, okay, yeah, I will. And it gets, it gets done. That's why we worship the Lord of great works and celebrate the great works of the Lord. We worship the Lord of the great works. We don't worship the great works of the Lord. We worship the Lord. We celebrate the works. That's why I, can't, I could never imagine a follower of Jesus not being a person who absolutely valued science, who, was a, who would say, of course I'm an environmentalist. Of course I care for all things I'm just not a pantheist. I don't believe God is all things. I believe God is God. He made all things. I worship Him. I care for all things. I don't confuse those things. I don't worship the stars. I look for my horoscope. The horoscope thing never works for me anyway. You're standing in line at Starbucks and they got the horoscope clipping. Every one of them, I, I think, that's me. No, no. No, this one's me. No, wait, wait. No, that is, no, wait. Oh, wait, where's I born? Oh, that's me? No, no, I like these other ones better. I mean, it's just silly to think that you can expect from other things what God alone can provide, right? So science reflects God's command that we manage creation properly by caring about it intensely. I hope you care intensely. I, I already told you last week, the blue penguins are coming this Wednesday to the Birch Aquarium. Uh, it's open on the 12th. If, you, if you're willing to give a zillion dollars, you can get to the party on the 12th. The rest of us will be showing up on the 13th, ticket in hand, to go see the amazing, amazing display that they've created. Um, Somebody just told me, oh, yeah, my brother-in-law, his company created that whole display. It's amazing, beautiful, et cetera. All for these little blue penguins. Okay, what are they? They're representatives of Psalm 104. And you're a representative of Psalm 139. Get them together. It's a good day. So God is eternal, unbound by time, and yet created time and works within time. Let that one settle in. Time is a created thing. Time makes sense in our world, nowhere else. Does anyone think that's heresy to say that? Time is a created thing. At some point, time will no longer be necessary. If you have a buggy whip, it's just a relic from your great-great-great-grandparents and their carriage. You don't actually think to use it for anything. God is eternal and unbound by time, yet created time, and God works within time. He's not limited by it. He works within it. This is what we can't get our head and heart around. That's why it's so easy to devolve into scientism. Uh, I, I, like, I prefer a closed universe where I can tell you everything that's supposed to happen. And you say something happened, even if you document it, it didn't really happen because my world says it cannot happen. 
But Psalm 90 tells us this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night. Peter picks this up when he's talking to people who are being persecuted in the first century. And they're saying, well, when is the Lord coming back? He, he said he was going to return, and, and people are mocking us. Hey, where's this God who's going to come back? Hey, a little late, isn't he? Maybe he's taking a bathroom break, you know, and, and they're mocking and, and Peter said, no, no, you don't get it. He, he, in a sense, he, he goes back to the God who is hovering over creation. He's still hovering over it. It's described as a seven-day event, but he's hovering over it. And so that the time it took for creation to happen says it, it's worth the time. And so what does Peter say? By God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. He's saying, don't count it to slowness on God's part. Count it to his love and patience for you. He wants no one to perish. Puts a whole other spin on it, right? It reframes it properly. Time is a construct that God uses for our benefit. We fret over it, but you were created for eternity. We experience time. You're created for eternity. I had a wonderful time uh, with a guy, I, I, I just I love him, and um, you know, he's at the end of his life and he knows it, and so there's no, there's no cure for what he has, uh, there's some care, but no cure, and we talked about eternity, we talked about life beyond life, and it wasn't morbid and awkward, it was, wow, what do you think, you know, are you getting ready? Ah, it was beautiful. It was, it was holy ground. Not by anything I said, just by being together in the presence of God, talking about the richness and beauty of life, as well as the fact that this is not even as much as the preface to the introduction to the overview to the rest of the book. God's plans and processes are eternal and revealed to us in the temporal world, the temporary world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. This is temporary. You're not home yet. And God's plans and processes include the creation of time expressed as chronos and kairos. So chronos, just to remind you, chronos, chronology, is about markers of time. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades. As in, what time is it? How long will it take? Do we have time? Will, will you make the time? Do you mark the time? Do you pay attention to the time? I'm horrible for getting so caught up in something that I go, oh my gosh, where did the time go? I love that experience, though. I'm so caught up in what I'm doing because it matters that time just flies, you know? The worst thing you could do to me is waste my time. It bothers me to have my time wasted. Now, somebody said, we need to wait here for eight hours for this purpose. I'd be like, all right. But if we're just waiting around and nobody knows what's going on, and it's in the airport, and they won't tell you why you're waiting, and they're telling you for an hour and a half that I think it's mechanical, it's, you know, the plane isn't in from Phoenix, and, you know, that's BS, I see the plane. And all of a sudden, some person runs up who's on the flight team with their bag and their hair is all like this and, and oh, sorry, sorry. Like, everybody in the whole giant waiting room is reaching with one giant squeeze around their neck. Could you not have just told us, somebody overslept, it's embarrassing, don't mock them, it'll be 45 minutes, free coffee, you know, whatever, right? All of us feel that way. Don't waste my time. It's precious, 
precious. And so then kairos, the other side of chronos, these two kinds of times that we think about, chronos is the meaning of time, as in right time, favorable time, opportune time, best time, on time, in time. What's the best time to? Do you go to school right away or do you gap year? Do you go full-time or part-time? What's the best time to retire? What's the best time to take a vacation? What's the best time to get married? Start a business. So in the context of time, in a moment or a lifetime, we experience God's plans and purposes. And there's inherent processes to that. Things that you can say, well, this is what you should do. This is the process. So some of you heard me talk about this young girl, you know, having a hard time with her mom, single parent, tough enough being a single parent. Now the daughter's just feeling frustrated as a teenager, and she's going to drop out of school, and she's in high school. So I sit down talking to her and say, hey, so you're, you're incredibly smart, and you're vivacious. You're just a delight. And I realize it's not working for you and your mom right now. Uh, but at some point, you get to leave home. Then what? What do you want to do with you? She goes, well, I'm going to go to law school. I said, well, I, I thought you just said you're, you're tired of high school and you're leaving high school. He goes, well, yeah. I said, then you're going to go right to law school? He goes, well, no, I haven't really thought about it. Clearly, you haven't really thought about it. There's a process here, you know, just to spite your mom. How about if you graduate from high school? Just to really stick it to your mom and just show her who's boss. You finish high school with really great grades. You apply to college. You go to college. Show your mom that she has no idea how awesome you are. Do well in college. Take the LSAT. Uh, take it four times. Get into law school. Go to law school. Graduate from law school. Take the bar exam nine times. I don't know. Whatever it takes. Practice law. Find out you just hate it. But still, you can say, Mom, look at this. She goes, oh, I like that plan. I like that thinking. I like the process, right? And so God uses processes. There's an inherent logic to the developmental phases and processes of a kid. Uh, they're going through the terrible twos, and they last till they're 18, you know, or 65, depending on who you're living with, right? So God entered his own creation to reconcile us to himself, to develop us into new creations, and he uses natural processes. A baby was born to a woman, conceived supernaturally, by God, and yet the, the normal human processes were included in that. So this is the thing. We can't put God in a box. He uses natural processes and sometimes supernatural power to achieve his purposes. Mostly, though, he uses natural processes infused by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to work in that young woman, but there were some natural processes she had to abide by. I prayed for people who have been miraculously healed, rarely. I was amazed as they were. <laughs> Whoa! I should have been like, well, of course, yes, I prayed for you. But I'm like, no way, that's amazing, awesome, praise God. Most of the time, we have to do the natural processes. Uh, a dear friend just moved back from the United States after being in the Mideast for the last 20 years, doing ministry, uh, te teaching English at the universities in Muslim countries. But really, his, his, his wife's ministry was showing up at tea houses, and they just have a sense of somebody's need. And the server would be serving them, and they say, I, excuse me, I, I don't mean maybe you know, imposing on you, but do you have a problem with your knee? Well, yes, I do. How did you know? I, um, uh, Isa told me you had a problem with your knee. Really? 
I just had a dream that I was going to talk to somebody from the West. Hey, are you from the West? Yes, I am. I teach at the university. Yeah, you can pray for my knee. And all these signs and wonders and churches started. Sir, sir. He, he calls me at one time and says, hey, my son is in the States playing soccer on a scholarship, blew out his knee. Um, I, I, we need an orthopedic surgeon. I said, and I sort of know each other very well. And I knew him in high school, and I did his wedding. I can be kind of a smart aleck with him. I said, have you prayed about it? He goes, yes, you know I prayed about it. And we started laughing because we both acknowledged that, you know, all these amazing supernatural interventions by God using you over the years to the point that it's a daily thing. You don't think twice about it. When it comes to your son, God chooses to use an orthopedic surgeon in this country. He said, yeah, isn't that interesting? Because Andrew said, yeah, Dad, pray for me. You know, they prayed, me and his wife, they prayed for healing, 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 and they couldn't. I said, so, you know, the neat thing here is that God has a larger plan for this. And so here's this orthopedic surgeon who is this phenomenal person who walks with Christ. So they got to meet that person. And that person, you know, and so all of a sudden there's other things God is doing. So, so God uses natural and supernatural processes. Don't be, don't, be, don't be immature and say, it has to be a miracle or it doesn't count. Don't be immature and say, I've been suffering for 10 minutes, I need a miracle. It could be that you'll suffer for the rest of your life, and the miracle is God is with you. Don't be immature and say, it has to be seven days or you're all pagans. Don't be so immature and so easily led that you say, it had to be 14 billion years because anybody with a mind wouldn't believe in seven days. Rather approach it and say, I wonder what God wants to do in this situation right now and how he wants to do it. He could do anything... What is, does it look like he's choosing to do, and how do we cooperate with that? So nothing goes to waste in God's plans and purposes. Romans uh, 5, Paul says that this, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace, in which we now stand. It's all about Jesus' initiative. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It's about God, the God who created all things. Not only so, but we also glory, and all of a sudden he, he, he changes this, we're talking about this awesome God who can do anything. He says, and we glory because we know him, we bask in his majesty and presence and in his glory. Because of his glory, we now apply that to our sufferings. It's like, whoa, whoa, you're losing me here. If it's so glorious, why is there suffering included in it? If you're really God, suffering shouldn't be in the equation. Show me that you're really God. Justify your godness and help me avoid this horrible situation. It's because of my belief in you that I'm going through this. What's with you? And God says, uh, it's more than what's with me. It's that I'm with you. And so Paul says, we, call, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Do you see a process emerging here? He's describing a very human process infused with the Spirit of God. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Uh, not unless you're paying attention to God, perseverance and suffering produces bitterness, a bitter character, an angry character, but no, in this case, a character shaped by God. And character produces hope. Can we just cut to the hope? The process is important. You're going to learn perseverance, Etc., etc., etc. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been, been, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, again, the invocation of time here, you see at just the right time 
when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He's been with us all along. He's hovering over his creation. He's hovering over you. So nothing goes to waste in God's plans and purposes. Does that surprise you? I hope not. Therefore, your life goes somewhere and means something. Our lives have a God-given purpose. And all the processes God uses are for the achieving of his purposes. Our Lord includes everything necessary to make his creation whole and complete in due time. What are the implications of this? Well, then we can be imaginative. All right, Lord, what do you want to do in me and through me? We can be resourceful. We can be resilient. We can be adaptable. We, we can wonder, imagine, invent, discern, implement, organize. We can discover and we can recover. Uh, this can happen in a flash of insight in a moment, or it can take a lifetime to be incorporated into our life, right? All part of the essential processes of God to achieve God's purposes. S- miracles might punctuate it, but often it's very much observable human processes. I was, somebody could say, I was at my therapist and I had a miracle. What was the miracle? I had a flash of insight about God's love for me. Wow. Interesting how those two processes came together. One doesn't discount the other. And so God's word gives us the why and answers the questions of meaning and purpose in life. Ah, scientism, I thought, did that. Uh, wrong. Scientism is bluffing that it can do that. It's yearning and hoping for a better world, but not the world that they were created for, that we're created for. God's word gives us the why. Here's why. and answers the questions of meaning and purpose in life. Science focuses on the what and the how of space, time, matter, energy, mapping life systems. So let me, let me summarize it by saying this. Science tells us what we are made of. God tells us what we're made for. If you keep those in mind, there's a dynamic tension there. Science tells me what I'm made of. God, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through his holy people, tells me what I'm made for. That's why we're made in the image of God. Not because our DNA is separate from every other created thing. There's a lot of DNA scattered around all creation. But it's because we're made for the specific purpose. I'll leave you with a couple stories. Uh, Johannes Kepler, one of the greatest scientists of all time, uh, he's the first guy to map planetary movement. Did the math on it in the 16th century. I mean, it's mind-boggling how smart this guy was. He famously said, I want to think God's thoughts after him. And in another burst of praise and prayer to God, he said this, I give thanks to you, Lord Creator, because you have lured me into the enjoyment of your work. One of the greatest scientists of all time says, you have lured, lured me into the enjoyment of your work. Why did he say it? He wanted to be a pastor. He wanted to be a theologian. And God said, you can walk with me and you can be a pastor functionally, you can be a theologian functionally, but I want you to explore my creation. And so now Kepler's figuring this out. He goes, I thank you for luring me in when I thought I was a disappointment. I wasn't, I wasn't making it in the way that I wanted to. Luring me into the enjoyment of your work, and I have exulted in the works of your hands. I, I can't help but smile when I read this. Behold, now I have consummated the work to which I pledge myself using all the abilities you gave me. 
at the, at the point that he finished mapping the human genome, Francis Collins didn't say, aren't I awesome? I'm guessing what he said is, isn't the human body awesome and the God who made it? Right? Using all the abilities you gave me. I want that to be my goal too. I hope you want that to be your goal. I hope you see that as the most worthy goal of your life. What is your work in this season of life? Understanding your education from God's perspective, understanding the challenges of this world from God's perspective, understanding your body from God's perspective, understanding your marriage, your friendships, your leisure time, uh, your work, your worry. Seek the Lord as you make your plans and embrace godly processes for achieving them. Make your plans in the context of His, and, and be sure you're saying, Lord, what are the processes you want to use in me and through me to achieve your purposes in me? You're an active player. You have agency. You're not just passively waiting for something to happen. So you get engaged. You say, okay, Lord, what are, the, what are the normative processes I should be looking at? Now, if along the way he does some other things above that, awesome. And so you know, you'll, you'll know they align with God's plans and purposes if they exalt him and bless people. If all your plans and purposes are accomplished at the, at, at the price of, I don't believe in God and I'm taking advantage of people, you're off track. You've missed a turn somewhere. I can tell you, if you do this, you won't feel emptiness or regret. You won't feel foolish or resentful or envious, jealous or bitter. Why did God make me do this? You'll be like Kepler. You'll like, uh, most likely feel more alive, more energized, more hopeful, more thankful, more relieved that God lured you into the life that you've lived. And like the psalmist, you'll get to say, great are the works of the Lord. Let's wrap up our worship time with him. Um, with some music. Let's let this be an offering time of ourselves to him. Uh, if, if you want to make an offering today, you can put it in the offering box and you leave or send it in. But right now, it's you offering you to the Lord. In the context of, of this word, from his word, so Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you for my brothers and sisters here. That in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, some exalted, some very mundane, you're doing the work in them and a work through them. I pray that you'd make them scientists of their own life as they observe and pursue and discover the meaning and purpose that you've bequeathed to them at this season of life. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would have the humility to ask, to seek, to knock, to receive what you alone can give even as we fully participate in the normative processes that define and describe this world. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, the God of wonders, the God of processes and purposes. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
pray for you about anything, anything that matters to you or to somebody you care about, a situation you're seeing or an experiencing, go right around the corner. There's a beautiful little garden. It's a prayer garden. And there'll be people who will pray with you. It won't be odd or awkward. They'll just say, how can I pray for you? And if you don't know, just say, I don't know. Just pray for me. And that's okay. Then get something to eat. Uh, we want to, this army marches on its stomach, right? So get something to eat. It's really good. And then at, at uh, 11, come back in here, and we're going to do a brief thing we call conversations. Uh, we, we show some really neat, very clever, creative, uh, brief little video things um, with great, rich content. And we talk about it. We unpack it together. It's not a teaching thing. It's a conversation. It's not how right are you, how much do you know. It's what did you see, and what did that evoke in you? So it's a very, very good uh, process of, of conversation. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.